Gentlemen, and welcome to the Worthless Knowledge Podcast. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Nat the Truth Jones. And we have got a topic this week that is very near and dear to both of our hearts. Every once in a while, I come across something where it goes a little bit deeper than that. And that's what this week's going to be about, because this is a, a man that has touched both your heart and mine, and that would be Grigory Rasputin. He touched a lot of people's hearts. Well, he touched a lot of people's lots of things. Right. And, you know, that's going to certainly be part of the discussion. I feel like maybe he was the guy that like coined the phrase, uh, free your mind and your ass will follow. And <laughs> then he like the kind of guy that would have Is that a phrase? It. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that an invoke song? I thought it was free your mind and the rest will follow. Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean... I was like, one of us has been horribly, horribly misguided throughout the last, what, 25 years, whenever that song came years. out. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So we were both kind of right. So free really? Life, okay. Your Ass Will Follow is a album by Funkadelic. So there you have it. So it is. Oh, but a, what about, I was talking about En Vogue. Right. I'm guessing that uh, they were free your mind and the rest will follow. And then meanwhile, I got that confused with the Funkadelic, uh, with the Funkadelic album for your mind and your ass. It's always fun and, uh, and heartening when we have a disagreement and we're both right. Normally when we have a disagreement and it goes back to something that we've both heard, but heard differently, <laughs> you're proven right probably two thirds of the time, which is a real something that, you know, it keeps me up nights. You know how much <laughs> I love being right. I know. And you're generous in your two-thirds estimation. I would say more like 60%, three out of five. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's thoughtful. And that's backed by absolutely no data at all. <laughs> no, no. We have, these are just hunches, folks. We're just throwing, we're just throwing numbers out there. We're, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Rasputin, and we're going to talk specifically. The question at Quizzo was, who did Felix Yusupov kill in 1916? Rasputin. Right? Correct. Good job. He wasn't alone. He had right. helpers. But I, I want to kind of say that that's how I started my love affair with Rasputin. And it started with his murder and it worked its way backwards. Like Memento. Right. It was. That's how that. Yeah, that's how I came to know Rasputin. Is that a million dollar idea? Doing the Rasputin story Memento style? It's not a bad one. It's not and, a bad one. Follow-up question to that, is million-dollar idea outdated now since that seems like a paltry amount of money to people making movies and stuff like that now? Should we change the number? Is that a $100 million idea? Well, I think for us, it's probably probably more like a $45 idea. (laughs) This is a $45 idea. So here's here's the thing, because it, 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 was, it, it, was, it was something I remember very specifically. It was in middle school, and there was a book. And I don't know if you remember this book, but it was the most interesting book at the school library. Had a little magic, had a little magic book in the reference section, the book of lists and the book of lists too. And that's, the book of I mean, lists, that's, that's right up my alley, obviously right yeah, up yours. And, you know, it's, it's so hard to explain to anybody that wasn't around before the internet was here. Like back in those days, the information, the information you got 
was kind of mainstream. The books, you know, you read the books that everybody else had read. You learned the things that everybody else learned. And it was just, we kind of all went through, you know, especially growing up in the middle of nowhere, you have this kind of, you know, regular, normal, I guess, life. And then you come across the book, a list, and it's got like seven famous women who were lesbians. Right. Which was scandalous at the time, by the way. Right. And it's got like 16 incredible murders. Right. I always gravitated towards those. Right. So in middle school, you're not reading anything else like this. There's no 16, you know, dramatic murders. There's no lesbians. It's everything is just very square. And you come across the book of lists and you dig into Rasputin and you dig into his murder. You dig into him eating the cakes and then drinking the wine and then taking off running into the yacht. It's like, what? And for whatever reason, that just stuck with me. And after that, you know, I kind of came through that backwards into being fascinated with Russian history at the turn of the 20th century, because the whole thing, the whole big picture is fascinating too. You know, the end of a dynasty and all these like nut jobs falling into this power vacuum and each trying to take the reins. Well, just a very specific set of circumstances that had to take place for this guy to be able to rise to any sort of level of prominence is actually pretty fascinating. And I'm sure you've researched that and know about all that, but it's, it's, pretty stunning it impacted everything that happened in the 20th century so like in the world right so this peasant this peasant freaking charlatan nut somehow influenced 20th century world events as much as just about anybody like certainly as much as you or i well, at least we'll go back to the beginning and, and, and talk like this guy grew up a peasant in this middle of nowhere, totally, you know, one of millions of people that you just would have never heard of. There's a great sentence here in his Wikipedia article uh, that really, you know, kind of personalizes him a bit. Local archival records suggest that he had a somewhat unruly youth, possibly involving drinking, small thefts, and disrespect for local authorities. I mean, that really sounds like, hey. Doesn't take much to connect the dots right there into what he became. Right, right. I mean, he and I are basically birds of a feather. You know, I was a bit of an unruly youth. I had a couple of drinks. You sold sodas out of the back of your car that you got maybe not legally. Uh, Am I allowed to talk about this yet? I don't know if the... The statute of limitations? The statute of limitations ran out yet or not. You were a youth when it happened, so I'm pretty sure you're good. Right. I would be charged as a teen. Right. You'd get probation and it would be expunged from your record. So I think you're fine. Right. Well, I, yeah, even though it would, even though I'm in my late 40s, uh, the, they would still charge. What if we publish this podcast? I mean, right now, because we switched podcast hosts, we have like we used to have a pretty substantial listener base and it's much, much smaller now. So of the handful of people currently listening to the Worthless Knowledge podcast. One, one of them, of them is, is, a, is a law enforcement officer in Northampton County who's right. been active since the early 90s. Who <laughs> decides to pay you a visit in Philadelphia to make sure that you're held responsible for these things. I guess I can tell you folks at home uh, what happened. Me and a couple of the fellas on the weekends, there wasn't a lot to do. And we were told by somebody uh, whose name may or may not have been Zach McCready, that if you sprayed salt <laughs> water into the back of the Coke machine, 
that the dollar bill dispenser would think it was money and you start hitting the buttons and Cokes would start flying out. It's one of those urban myths that ended up being completely true. Totally true. And I want to tell you folks at home something, and I'm not saying this because I'm trying to encourage this behavior. It's, it's illegal and it's, it's really and sketchy. Frankly, it's wrong. But I want to tell you right now, when you squirt that water into that hole in the back of the dollar bill dispenser, and then you start banging those buttons and you hear cook-clink, 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 cook-clink. It is no different than being in Las Vegas and striking it rich. It is the most positive reinforcement. I, t- I mean, we giggled like schoolgirls. And even now, when I think back on it, I can't help, even though, again, it was wrong, illegal, et cetera, can't help but grin a little bit just thinking about that sound. Cook-clink, cook-clink, and just free sodas just coming right. And like, they would just start flying out. Like, you'd have to really start pulling them out of the thing so that, you know, they didn't get backed up and start crashing into each other. I mean, it was just relentless. And man, when you hit that, and you didn't always hit the jackpot, which made it even sweeter when you did. Right. So that meant just, that's like a just long-winded way of saying that you and Rasputin, birds of a feather. Right. What's the equivalent of that? in say 1890s russia well it's probably like stealing horses <laughs> that's what if you yeah you i could see you as like a late 19th century uh juvenile horse thief you know i'll say i was this level of bad like i'd steal the horse and then like that weekend bring it back because i think it was hilarious that the guy would then think that he had the horse had disappeared. That he had just misplaced the horse. Right. Like, I wouldn't care about, like, having a horse. I just think it would be funny if a guy thought a horse was stolen, and then he came out two days later, and there was the horse just right back where it had started. So Rasputin heads out, um, starts running these prayer meetings, gets into religion. He obviously had some sort of emotional breakdown because, I mean, that's, you know, he ran away from home, basically, with one kid and another on the way. And he, he heads out to St. Petersburg. And he starts running all these like sketchy underground religious meetings. And again, if we're tying me in with Rasputin, what did I do? I ran off to Philadelphia and started hosting these sketchy little underground quizzes. I'd say the the closer similarity is his prayer groups, which, you know, according to rumors, sometimes devolved into uh, wild orgies. What's the closest one of your quizzes has ever come to devolving into a, a wild orgy? Like, do you ever make eye contact with someone across the room and just think for a second, like, this might actually get pretty hairy by the end. This this might turn into a wild orgy. <laughs> you can, as a quizologist, I'm sure you can relate to this, but it's like, what? how many rounds do you usually have? Three? Uh, four, four or five. Four or five rounds. I would imagine on the right night, by the end of the second round, if there's going to be a wild orgy, there's probably just kind of an electricity in the air that's different. Mm-hmm. Some sort of static. You start looking around at the tables. You start thinking, well, who am I going to partner up with if push comes to shove? Right. Well, I think that's where Rasputin and I kind of went our separate ways in that even if there was that orgy energy in the air, I was just trying to get through the quiz. You know, I was I, I think probably there was probably that energy in the air a couple of times. I just didn't notice. <laughs> probably a few times there was that orgy electricity in the air. And you just kind of went along just oblivious. 
oblivious to the amount of sex that you could be giving and receiving. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's a shame in hindsight that I just didn't pick up on it. You know, I think that was part of, you know, Rasputin could pick up on that kind of energy. I was picking up more on kind of the energy of, you know, who's cheating at Quizzo. Right. You know, I had that expert eye. Like I bet, you know, and that's the thing. We all have our own strengths and weaknesses. And mine was picking up on who's cheating at Quizzo and Rasputin's was picking up on who's ready to fucking party. Uh, who's ready to cheat on their wife or husband. Mm-hmm. Right, right. With, very, yeah. with yours truly. Right. And that was, you know, and that segues nicely into him heading or him be getting in touch with the royal family. That's when he really starts getting wild, starts banging the wives of all of these guys in the cabinet. It's one of those things where it's so crazy. And I think, you know, in a hundred years, people look back on like, you know, Trump and all that in similar vein, like you can just see in photos that this guy is clearly nuts and he's hanging around all of these like rich elites. And he's got this wild, unkempt, greasy hair and this beard, like down to his belly. And you're just like, this picture is so bizarre compared to basically every other picture of the early 20th century is Mm -hmm. a bunch of freaking elites in ties and suits looking absolutely dapper. Yeah. And like, then there's just this one dude in these photos like, that's just like, this guy does not belong. It reminds me of the yearbook pictures that you, and to a lesser degree, me, snuck into uh, your junior year, I want to say. Right. How, you know, there would be some clubs that were 11 black girls in you. And, right. Right. You just kind of look at it and you're like, well, that guy looks different. People talk about like child molesters and serial killers and stuff. And we say like, oh, you know, you think they're going to like look all different, like they're going to stand out. But that's not that the scary thing is they look just like anybody else. They look just like you and me. Not so with Rasputin. He would might as well have been just holding a sign saying, I am the sketchiest dude you will ever meet in your life. Please allow me into your home. And give me an ungodly amount of influence over your family and their comings and goings. The thing that gets him in, he's hanging out in St. Petersburg and has started to form friendships with members of the aristocracy. And at some point he meets the family, the royal family. They have a son named Alexei. They've been wanting to have a son. Now, the, the, you know, there's it's a very famous love story. Like the king, the czar, and his wife wrote love letters to each other every day of their lives. Like these were two people where you're almost like, my God, this is a little bit, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. Like you two get a room. Like, we like get it. Just, you love each yeah. other. Yeah, right. But they have all these daughters. They don't have a son. And the king is apparently by all, still a great dad. He's not like, you know, some of these kings got all pissed off and the wife didn't give him a son. They like, you know, had him beheaded or whatever. This guy... Didn't love his wife any less. Just, all right, try again. Finally, they have a son. Oh, my God, we've got a king. You know, we're going to be able to keep the reign going for another 400 years. It turns out that the little boy is hemophilia, which means that, you know, his blood doesn't really clot. Yeah. Isn't it funny that, so, yeah, by all accounts. Oh, nothing funnier than hemophilia. (laughs) That's exactly where I was going with that. Let's talk about the funniest (laughs) blood-related ailments that could prove fatal to a child. But like, there's no question. So Tsar Nicholas II, who, the Tsar in question, not a very good Tsar, but on, by all accounts, a, a very good and doting father, like you said. And isn't it funny? You're just you're giving this guy all this props for still loving his wife when she's just giving him daughter after daughter. What a low bar for 
uh, a ruler, a monarch of anything to have to reach up to. It's like his wife bore him four daughters. He didn't even kill her. I mean, that's, you know, that's what royalty was. That's what, that's how the elites acted. Like you got one job, woman. That's to give me a male heir. Four daughters. And then they, Alexei, the son, who was like the apple of everybody's eye and who Alexander Arena just doted on completely for obvious reasons. I mean, first of all, her only son, but also like this was the heir. Like you said, this is kind of her raison d'etre, if you will. Part of the issue, and again, this is, you know, like we said earlier, like it's a confluence of events that had to work all together the way they work together, or the world would be a radically different place today. The way these events worked was if you had this male heir, you couldn't just be like, oh, he's got hemophilia. Oh, he's weak. Like you had to hide that from the people because the people believed that, you know, the czars were appointed by God that made them the best people. They're, they're the best looking, they're the smartest, all that stuff. And if the boy has this like potentially deadly disease, that's going to hurt confidence in the crown. So they're hiding it from the population. It's kind of like those when when Vladimir Putin goes diving in a random lake uh, with photographers there and comes up like 30 seconds later with ancient Byzantine pottery uh, mm-hmm. that he just happened to discover right there. Or I mean, but look, even even though these were rulers anointed by God, supposedly, and so they had to be perfect, it's like we hadn't gotten that far from them. FDR was in a, was completely wheelchair bound. And like most people didn't know it, right? John F. Kennedy, even in the sixties had a terrible back and had a very hard time getting around. And nobody knew that the press was just like, Oh, well, we don't want to blow up his spot. Let's not tell anybody. It's like, there's this fascination with your uh, rulers being these just strapping beacons of strength or whatever you would call it. So they're trying to cover it up and Rasputin gets introduced to them like if you read like these self-help books, like he's the kind of guy that would really be praised today because he's just got no fear, right? Like they meet, introduce him and he's like, and like, you know, the boy is like not, not well. And he's like, oh, the kid looks a little weak. And they're like, oh yeah, no, he's got hemophilia. He's like, oh, I cure hemophilia. You know, it's just like, it's like, you know, when the self-help books are like, it doesn't matter if you're an expert, you have to tell people you're an expert. Right? right. Because it's all about creating this illusion that you're a master. And he and did strike me as a very uh, confident or at least confident presenting individual. You know, I mean, look at the guy. I mean, the guy looks like a total nutcase and he's walking into these salons of the Russian elite and just banging all the women because he's just so self-confident. And he's just like, yeah, no, this, you know, why don't you just have sex with him? So... You know, so he's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm great with hemophilia. So he goes, you know, he goes over to Alexi and, you know, does some sort of, uh, you know, a little dance. And and there's always the big question, which is, did he have some powers? And I think that's something we can get into a little bit. Or is it just dumb luck that just kept prevailing? Because like this happened several times where the first time it happened, mom is like oh my god this guy has to be near me all the time he's a miracle healer and then it did happen a couple of other times where he's like let me go in with the kid make him better and then the kid actually felt better by the next day it it goes into you know not faith healing but like you know there's certainly 
studies that say that when you're around somebody and you've got positive energy, that can help. Because one of his big things was, was just keep the doctors away from it. Like the doctors just stress them out and that makes it worse. What we know about doctors from a hundred years ago, yes, they probably made everything worse. Didn't we do a podcast on medical treatments from like a hundred years ago? That was pretty horrible. The thing is with Rasputin, fair to point out that because of Alexei's condition, the Tsarina Alexandra was like kind of on the verge of a nervous breakdown, understandably, for like quite some time. She was pretty susceptible to somebody potentially coming, swooping in and maybe not filling this specific void, pretty open-minded to anything that could save her son, keep her son alive, keep her son healthy. Now, it's worth noting Rasputin never cured Alexei's hemophilia. Right. What he did was a couple times when the kid seemed, not a couple, I don't know how many, a few times when the kid seemed like he was in bad shape, Rasputin said a prayer at the Tsarina's request or whatever, and the kid didn't die. But I mean, that was enough. You know, that was enough to completely ingratiate him to this woman who was in an extremely vulnerable state. That's part of the confluence of events we're talking about. Yes. So he's starting to hang around a lot. A lot of people are hanging around. He was given the position of a lamplighter, which meant that he lit all of the candles, the religious candles around the palace, which, I mean, what a sweet gig. Yeah. You remember you the a- acolyte at our church? Yeah. That was always, we always wanted to be acolyte. Like that was really an esteemed position. You got to wear the robe. Mm-hmm. You got to sit in the front row. And at the beginning, you came out and you lit two candles. And at the end, you went out with the little bell that was on the other side of the stick and you snuffed the two candles out. And your name was in the program. For a kid, it's as powerful as you're ever going to be. Right? Like you start the service, you end the service. Your name's in the bulletin. You're on the front row. I mean, just a Wearing like a costume. Right. Spotlight just shining on you for an hour. And for a kid like me, it was just, that was just really as good as it got. We didn't have all these fancy TikToks, folks. We couldn't just be eight years old, nine years old, starring in our own home films. You got one shot to be a star. And that was by lighting and subsequently snuffing out two candles. So he asked to have a new name, just like I have, I asked the king to become Johnny Goodtimes. You know, I had to get, had to get the king's permission. So again, that keeps in line. And he was granted the request to change his name. It says Rasputin used his position to full effect, accepting bribes and sexual favors from admirers and working diligently to expand his influence. I mean, that basically sounds like my 20s. Right. Just lots of bribes and sexual favors from my admirers uh, at various quizzes and uh, working diligently to expand my influence until I was basically known as the quizzo guy. Have you ever been offered or at least had it hinted at if you would alter even a little bit the results of one of your quizzes that there could be some sexual favors in your future. I guess it would probably kill your business to admit that on the air right now. Right. I mean, it would the last thing you want is headlines the next day in whatever publication that might be writing about you. The local papers. Or, Or maybe it's the thing you want the most because my God, what publicity. All right. How awesome would you think it was on a scale of one to 10 if tomorrow or sometime in the next week, there was a headline 
saying philadelphia.com or whatever talking about former award-winning quizologist johnny good times or maybe i didn't you just win quizzo guy of the year just recently okay so 2020 quizzo host of the year johnny good times implicated in sex for answers scandal yeah that would be fantastic. And then, and then there are maybe two or three examples of times that you had like maybe received oral sex in exchange for like answers to the hard questions. How would that affect your life? Detrimentally? Yes. I mean, I mean, if, uh, you know, obviously if this was a thing that were happening now uh, that I've been married for 10 years, right. uh, it would affect my life very negatively. Yeah. Let's say this story has a little bit of teeth to it. Yeah. I mean, if this scandal broke 13, 14 years ago, it would have been the best thing that could have ever happened to me. That's the difference a decade makes right there. Uh, in that if it broke now, it would be a massive negative. I'd be sleeping on the streets. But would it help? Would it be good for your business? No, it wouldn't be good for my business. And uh, that sort of lascivious behavior is no longer something that Johnny Goodtimes Incorporated is trying to put out there. Nor will tolerate from others. I would give anything, I just want to say. And first of all, let me just put out there, I don't want your life to be ruined. Well, good news. She she won't listen to the podcast, so we can kind of talk about this. No, all I know, want. but I'm saying I don't I don't want your wife like or your your marriage to be ruined, and I don't want your business to be ruined. You would enjoy. Seeing I would like the watching you sweat a little bit. <laughs> I would like bad. watching you at the press conference the next day because it's all about the press conference where you come onto the stage it with is. a couple pieces of paper and the camera bulbs are flashing, and you are forced to address this very serious series of accusations. I think that, yes, I could see how watching me sweat. I mean, I wouldn't want anything. A, I'd want you to recover from it. Long term, you don't want me to be negatively affected. You don't want me to begin a downhill spiral. But in the short term, actually watching the press conference as I read a prepared statement and then take questions, most of which I refuse to right. answer, would be something <laughs> that you would, you would definitely refuse to answer. Yeah. Almost all of which you would have to say some variation of. It's an active case. My lawyers advise me not to answer that question. You know, and you'd say like lots of generic things. There are a lot of balls in play right now. The wheels are in motion. Sometimes the justice system is slow to work, but I'm confident that when the dust has settled, I will be vindicated of these uh, egregious charges. Now, here's my next question. Would your wife be up there standing with you on stage? Because that's what a lot of politicians do. They like to, after they've been having sex with various people for under the table bribes, their wife comes up and stands with them. Is your wife on the stage? No. If, if these are things that are being, if I'm being accused of sex for answers, like that's occurred in the last 10 years, absolutely not. Like my wife will have already kicked me out of the house. Like by the time I show up at the press conference, I'll be asking reporters if they mind if I crash <laughs> on the couch for a couple months. Well, the beauty of Rasputin is that he just walks out on his wife. You know, he's really living life. Not even a chance. press conference. No, no. Nary a press conference when he wanders out. He's exerting all of this, you know, like all this power. And again, people don't understand why, because the family can't be like, well, Alexi has hemophilia and this guy's curing it with magical powers. Like that makes them sound crazy. But the, the Tsarina is convinced that if this guy goes away, her son's going to die. So it's really an impossible situation for them to maintain any sort of PR. Again, folks, look at these photos. 
These are very well-to-do elite, the absolute creme de la creme of society. And then there is just this deranged guy with these electric blue eyes. You can almost see that they're blue in black and white photos. I mean, his eyes are so nuts. You look, and if, if you have no context, you're like, what the hell's going on here? And, and that's what was happening. And, and people were, and the fact that the guy is then going around and sleeping with all the wives of the cabinet is not endearing him to the local, to the power elite. No. Uh, he has no other allies in government and people are going to the czar and being like, you have to get rid of this guy. And he's trying to get rid of him, but his wife won't let him. Then people start insinuating that the Tsarina and Rasputin are having an affair because that's one of the only things that makes sense. Which by all accounts, it doesn't seem like they were, by the way. Meanwhile, the Russians have had this disastrous war with the Japanese that was supposed to be an easy win that they somehow lost. So national pride is at a, is a total ebb. People are getting more and more frustrated. And in fact, there was that famous you know event when they had the big party, uh, when they first were a crown. The stampede, it's called the Kojinka tragedy. And it happened in 1896. It got the czar off to a bad start when 1,300 people were killed. And they still had the party that night. There was like like over a 1,000 dead bodies. So basically what happened was they were giving away all these trinkets. It was like Altamont. Like people basically rushed the stage. Well, to be fair, it was much, much worse than Altamont. Yeah. Like that was like, yeah. Like right, I think, I think one or two people, famous Altamont. Thing. We're talking about thirteen. This is like a, you know, several soccer rides. But at the same uh, time, you have to remember that trinkets were being given out. Right. Most of the victims were trapped in the ditch and were trampled or suffocated there. Despite the tragedy, the program of festivities continued as planned elsewhere on the large field. <laughs> so, like that kind of leads to the image of fifty feet to the right. Maybe just a stack of corpses. But the show must go on. (laughs) Look, nobody was asking for this, but we're not going to call off the party. If you happen to stumble across a dead body, which you almost certainly will throughout the course of the evening, please just get someone else and and the two of you drag them 50 to 60 feet to the right. And we'll deal with that ever-growing pile tomorrow. We want everyone to have a good time tonight. We don't want to ruin it with all these dead. How many people would have to die trying to get into a Quizzo event where you would then still hold the event? Well, definitely less than 1,300. Have you ever had 1,300 people in a Quizzo? If 1,300 people died at getting into Quizzo Bowl and then I still elected to have the Quizzo Bowl, that would be another scandal where there would be- How many people can, like, you are even in Quizzo Bowl? Like maybe a couple hundred? Yeah, like 253. Not a bad crowd. What if 1,300 people died outside somehow? There'd be a lot of questions to answer. People just wanted in. You just like, nope, I'm capping it at 300. And and by the way, everybody that comes in gets some right. trinkets. There's going to be trinkets aplenty, but not enough for everybody. There's going to be trivia questions exchanged for sexual <laughs> favors. There's going to be trinkets. The whole nine yards. Both of those things. The wildest quizzo orgy you have ever heard of in your life. But here's the sad news. There's not going to be enough trinkets for everybody or sexual favors. So anyway, so he's losing. The, the, the king is losing support. And then we go to World War I. And World War I does not go well for the Russians. No. 
I think the Russians have a different mindset on how many people they're willing to die uh, before they start to get upset and worried. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They have a high tolerance for that. Yes. Their tolerance for mass casualties is unlike anything we can possibly I think fathom. they lost 9 million in World War One. Yeah, and like 20 million in World War Two. They're not happy about losing the Japanese. And in World War One, they just are completely getting destroyed at every turn. They're losing basically every battle. And people are like, hey, we don't mind all this death. But can we at least hoist a championship banner every now and then? Right. Yeah. Can we can we throw a trophy up in the air now and again? Uh, and it's not happening. So people are getting more and more annoyed. Uh, there's, uh, you know, Rasputin is, according to rumor, uh, getting more and more handsy with the ladies uh, around the royal court. You know, it's just kind of all coming together in, in this disaster. And this gentleman, Prince Felix Yusupov, who I believe is nephew of the czar. Says, enough is enough. Yeah, enough is enough. And says, we're going to have to kill this guy. Let's have a party. So they invite, you know, so Yusupov and uh, Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich and uh, the politician Vladimir Prishkovich, they decided to plant to kill him in December 1916, and they lure him to Yusupov's Moloika, or no, so the Moika Palace. Mm. So I, I want to ask you, if, if you're Rasputin and this guy invites you over for cakes and tea at around midnight, are you a little bit hesitant to attend? Me? Absolutely. I'm hesitant if anybody is inviting me anywhere at midnight. You're hesitant if anybody's inviting you anywhere Well, anytime. I'm suspicious of almost everybody. I mean, but just in general, <laughs> midnight cakes and tea, there's, just, there's red flags there. Especially if I, if I happen to be like banging the guy's wife, which I almost certainly am in this instance. So according to Yusupov, and we don't really have any other firsthand accounts, so we kind of have to go by his, and I don't know why he'd lie. I can, I can think of many reasons, actually, but go ahead. Yeah. Rasputin starts to eat the cakes that are loaded with poison. Simple murder, right? Nothing happens. So Rasputin asks for some wine, which had also been poisoned, and drinks three glasses of that. So <laughs> now it's 2.30 in the morning. And Yusupov is running out of things How to talk about. How awkward is this, by the way? If you plan this murder <laughs> and you're only thinking you're going to have to, you know, the guy loves cakes, the guy loves wine. You're going to have to maybe make small talk for five or ten minutes and then bury the guy in a field. Meanwhile, right. not only is he eating all your cakes and drinking all your wine and showing no ill effects from the poison, you're, you're having to fill like you're having to like shoot the shit with this guy for a couple hours now. And you weren't planning on that. You had enough conversation planned for at most a half an hour. And here we are at two 30 in the morning. You're probably a little drowsy. You're trying to remember which cakes are poisoned and which ones aren't. So you make sure you eat the right cakes. Cause you can't just give right, a guy and not cake. have any cake yourself. Right. I mean, that's still, you know, maybe at one point in the future, humans will establish that level of trust. But if I go over to somebody's for cake and they're not eating any cake, that's or where I'm drinking any wine. You get, suspicious. you get suspicious just when you get the invitation. I get suspicious when I show up and I'm the only one. Eating I cake. assume if somebody wants to hang out with me for any reason, there's like a 40 to 45 percent chance that they're going to murder me. Or they at least want to. Even if I don't right. know him too well. Right. No. 
Sure. No, you're very, you're very suspicious of your fellow man. It's, it served me well. And, uh, you, you've noticed I haven't been mm-hmm. murdered. So he, Yusupov goes upstairs at 2.30, where the other guys are just hanging out, and they're really hoping he's going to say, good news, he's dead, and they're going to carry him out and bury him in a shallow grave. But he comes up and he says, he, he's not dying. So they're freaking out because they don't know what to do. So Yusupov says, you know what? Give me a pistol. Uh, yeah, shoots him. This is where it gets interesting. They drive to his apartment. So the one guy looks like he's coming home to, so there's not suspicion. So the guy puts on like his clothes and walks into his, or walks up to his apartment. So if there's any neighbors out late at night, they'll hey, say, oh, there's, there's Rasputin. So they return to the palace. Yusupov goes back to the basement to ensure that he's dead. Now, this guy's eating poison cakes. He's eating poison wine. He's been shot in the chest. Rasputin's laying on the ground. Everything looks great. And then suddenly Rasputin leaps up and attacks Yusupov. Right. <laughs> and at this point, you got to be like freaking, you got to be like, is this guy really like a superhuman? Rasputin somehow breaks out of the house and takes off running into the courtyard. And now the other guy shoots. Him. They wrap up his body. Um, they shoot him in the head this time. And then they drive to the Petrovsky Bridge and drop his body into the river. And there is a rumor that when they found the body in the bag in the river, that he had apparently been trying to scratch his way out and of like the bag. that there was water in his lungs, which would have right. suggested he was still alive. I think most of this is nonsense, by the way. Probably. Those are the stories that went out. I've I've heard from some sources, and again, I don't know what counts as a reputable source in Russia from 100 years ago, that he was essentially just killed with one gunshot to the head. I've also heard that um, there's someone that claims to have his penis. Yes, right. So it's funny because that's just where I was heading into next. I knew where you were heading with it. Right. <laughs> After his murder, the first thing that, first question I think needs to be asked, where is his penis today? Well, it's the first yeah. thing you ask pretty much any time, uh, like any prominent figures murdered, is you want to know the where and the when and the why and the how and all that. But then you also want to know where's the penis. So there's a legend that and I remember hearing this legend 15 years or so ago. Legend has it that his penis is in a pickle jar in the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg, Russia. Right. But experts are dubious, divided about how legit that penis is. It's almost 12 inches long. Right. You know, again, he looked like a nut job, but I mean, you know, he had a, the ladies loved him. Girls adored him. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the ones that never saw him. <laughs> so supposedly it was sold to the museum by his daughter, Maria, who, oh, by the way, went into the circus, spent her life as a circus performer. It's hard to tell us whether or not that is, uh, in fact, his penis. I think it's almost certainly not. I mean, I will say this, if I ever do find a way, and I think it would be cool to go to St. Petersburg. I think it's a interesting city. Sure. Uh, with a lot of history. But if I ever find myself there, I can guarantee you right now, I'll be going to the Museum of Erotica. I promise you the same thing on my end. What would your wife say if you said, honey, I just got the family tickets to St. Petersburg for next year's summer vacation. And she said, why in the hell of all the places on earth would we go to St. Petersburg? And you said, oh, because that's where the Museum of Erotica is with Rasputin's 12-inch penis. In a pickle jar. Would she be concerned that you were nuts or would she 
be like, oh, that sounds fun? I think it would be a mix of the two. I think that on one end, it would be cool that like I had taken it upon myself to like plan the ins and outs of an entire vacation. Usually, right. When, usually when we take a vacation, it's like I'm involved, but she's usually the the driving force. I'm I'm mm-hmm. not a great like logistics guy. If I had planned out this whole trip, she it would be startling, first of all. But I think she would enjoy it. I'm not sure how she would feel about St. Petersburg being the destination. Uh but then if I it depends how much I then fixated on the pickle jar with the abnormally large penis in it. She probably, mm-hmm. after I brought it up three or four times, would probably just be like, all right, like we're going, I'm getting on the plane. We're going, I, I don't need to hear anything more about this severed penis. And especially not in front of the kids. You keep talking about it just constantly in front of the children who are not that old. And you just won't shut up about it. You just keep saying, God, you know what I can't wait for on vacation? And it's like my kids are like, I know, dad, I know the penis in the pickle jar. Right. You brought it up several times on the flight. Do you realize you'll be like on the flight, you'll be like on your knees and in, in the plane talking to the people behind you in the next row. Right. You just like crane your head around and just like get really in their personal space. And you, go, you know, they say it's almost a foot long. And then you just turn back around with your family. It's in a pickle jar. So I just turned like the plane's going to St. Petersburg. And so you just assume that everyone else on the plane is going there for the same reason as you. Someone just gets down, sits across the aisle from you. You just kind of lean over and go, so going to see the penis, huh? Going to the Museum of Erotica, huh? Us too. Yeah. No, we were more interested in the Winter Palace. Oh, sure, sure, no. sure. No, we'll do all that. We'll probably catch that before we leave. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably, if we have extra time at the end of vacation, we'll check out the Winter Palace. But uh, or at least do a drive by. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you what we're doing the second we get off the airplane. We're going, to- <laughs> and a couple of the other days that we're there as well. You just go back multiple days to see it again. When's your? Family? So it's like it's funny. Most people they come to this museum and they spend twenty or thirty minutes, and they're like, "Oh, that's cool." Like this guy, he's had his whole family here for six hours. He's just, and he just keeps wandering in a circle around that pickle jar. Just, just really giving it a once over. Just keeps using his hands to show his family just how big that penis. <laughs> and I'll be honest, his family seems miserable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like this. Like to me and you, this sounds like an incredible vacation. And to our wives, it really sounds like hell on earth. Sure. So Rasputin dies tragically. And a couple years later, things go completely nuts. The, storm, the winter, you know, the, the, the palace is stormed. The Tsar and his family are taken into custody. They are later all murdered. You know, there's a lot of people that speculate that were it not for Rasputin, None of this would have happened. Czars would still be in power. We would have never seen the communist revolution. World War II would have been different. Just really everything that comes to be that we sort of accept from the 20th century was completely changed by this radical Russian revolution that made communism a force for the next 70 years. Yeah, it's just a reminder that, folks, no dream is too big, you know, because you can grow up. You can be a poor little peasant boy in Vatryovska, Russia. Out, You know, you can you can have, you know, a dead end marriage and a couple of kids and you can just say the hell with all this. 
I'm going to the seat of power. I'm going to have wild orgies and I'm going to become the queen's best friend. And then be murdered and have my penis resting snugly in a jar in St. Petersburg for all the eternity. So there you have it, folks. Uh, just a, a, once again, a, a lesson learned for all of you. Hypothetical sex scandals around Quizzo, uh, early 19th century Russian revolution, uh, pickled penises. Uh, you <laughs> name it, this one had it all. And so much more. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, thanks for joining us again. Uh, this has been uh, this uh, this week in, or no, we just call it what? The Worthless Knowledge Podcast? The Worthless Knowledge Podcast. Rebranding. Right, right. Which has been a tremendous success. And uh, <laughs> Right. If your goal was to lose 90% of your listeners. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, I'm Nat The Truth Jones. I'm Johnny Goodtime. See you later. Take it light. Rickety-row, give me the gag suits, here I go, so Rickety-flame on, Geronimo, yo I begin to burn, Rickety-rubbo